Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast aims to explore, debate, and understand a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students. We look at issues in South Africa, Africa, and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject, and we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Mahita Ikani, and I'm your host. Um, my name is Balisa. I am a first-year IR and politics student. Okay, my opinion on staff unions is that they are very important within our society, within South Africa, within the university vicinity in order to protect workers' rights for the obvious reason that they don't get exploited and no sooner than later will we be in the working environment and we will need the exact same or similar unions to defend our rights in a democratic society. Are you a member of an academic staff union? If not, why not? Today we talk unions. What is the point of being a member of a union? Our guest is David Hornsby, an Associate Professor in International Relations at FITS and current elected president of the Academic Staff Association of FITS University. Full disclosure, as many of you will already know, ASAWU sponsors this podcast, which means that it covers some of the technical costs of producing and hosting it, and pays our brilliant producer, Balungile Mbenyane. I am also a member of the ASAWU Executive Committee. I'm responsible for communications, but all my work for the union, like all members of the Executive Committee, including David, is voluntary and unpaid. So, with this out the way, let's talk unions. What can they do for you? What have they done for you? What role should they play in higher education? Welcome to today's episode. Today we have David Hornsby with us and the topic that we're going to be exploring is the question of unions and what they can do for academic staff and whether we need them. So a big welcome to David. Thank you very much. Perhaps we can start our discussion by hearing from you what your involvement in unions has been in in your academic career so far. Well, I mean, I think it's my involvement in unions has sort of spanned across my time as a student and now into being sort of full-fledged academic. Um, when I was an undergraduate, I joined the student union at my university in Canada and uh, actually served on the executive of that in terms of a portfolio. And my portfolio then was sort of academic affairs, and which, which was really nice. It was lined up because I actually didn't want to become an academic anyway. So I was always very interested in internal university governance type issues. So that was back in like 2003 when I first joined a union, technically. And uh, from there, I sort of was, I continued on with my graduate, my postgraduate work, and now into my career here at BITS, I've sort of continued in a membership capacity. In 2012, I joined the executive of ASAWU, in terms of I was co-opted by the executive of the time to contribute to functions of the, of the union. I engaged very quickly from that moment in negotiations and in terms of the university governance structure and seeking to sort of bring in the union and or rather a collective view into the governance of the institution. Okay, so you've been involved in ASAWU since 2012. You're currently the elected president of the union. So ASAWU is the majority union at VITS, so it does kind of represent academic staff in terms of all of the governance issues that you've 
you've talked about, but maybe you could run us through what SO actually does on a, on a day-to-day basis, what its role is, because even though there are 700 odd members, there are many academic staff at WITS who aren't members and they may not be fully aware of what the union can do for them and, and you might also be wondering, you know, what is the role of an academic staff union? What does it do for staff? I mean, I think it's, yeah, that's a good question. There's lots of little things that the union does, I mean, but I can generally categorize it into sort of two fundamental pillars. One pillar is an advocacy, proactive, looking to sort of sector issues, but also grand issues that are going on in the, in the institution, like performance management at bits, and developing a collective position, a collective um, take on what the institution and what direction the institution should be going. And we provide a voice for academics, a collective voice for academics, to sort of offer perspective to management, but also in university governance structures around sort of the bigger issues about where the university is as an institution is heading. The other pillar, which I think is the far more day-to-day grind, is the representation pillar. I speak about it as a grind because it's actually a real emotional investment on the part of the SIO executive, or any union executive, rather, to engage in these types of circumstances. Colleagues feel threatened, they feel low morale, um, they're being bullied, uh, they have issues associated with that that can be health issues, but also mental health issues. And that can be really tiring, that can be really taxing on individuals, but it's actually really rewarding because at the same time you're helping people and really being engaged in in trying to make the workplace a safer space, uh, a more constructive and more positive space. So we'll come back to the the kind of first pillar that you outlined, which is the bigger question of an academic voice, but maybe for now you could tell us a little bit more about what the key issues are that are facing academic staff in the workplace. what are the main challenges that we're facing in our day-to-day working lives that you have seen come up over and over again in terms of, of union issues? I, well, I mean, I think, let me, you know, just be really blunt. Bullying is one of the biggest issues that we face. Workplace bullying between colleagues, but between line managers and, and colleagues. People being pressured into certain circumstances where they feel uncomfortable. Power discrepancies being taken advantage of. That is probably the main pressing issue that takes up most of our time. Uh, but, you know, I'm, you know, we have the Labor Relations Act that we can work through in order to deal with that. We have mechanisms within the institution um, through the Employee Relations Unit that we can work through to try and, and address those. Um, other big particular issues, performance management and a creeping managerialism that's coming into not just bits, but I think most South African institutions. You know, it's funny. You think back to sort of the purpose of an academic environment, we sort of we always hearken to this notion of academic freedom. And academic freedom really embodies this idea of independence and this capacity to explore and to be curious. But what there seems to be a lack of appreciation for is also within that moment, the potential for mistakeability, where actually, you know, we can make mistakes in our own research and nothing comes up. Or we may go down a road and actually it leads to a, a conclusion that has already been written about. And in this context of performance management, this context of managerialism, we're not being allowed to do this anymore. We're not being allowed to make these mistakes or come to these sort of dead-end type research questions. Really things that are important for actually the academic project, for actually inquiry, for finding and generating new information and new knowledge. The big challenge here with performance management, what we're trying to do as an academic union, is trying to protect that space of academic freedom and show that actually, you know, 
performance doesn't necessarily just come in terms of outcomes. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that kind of attitude is also necessary in our teaching as well as our research. You know, we need the space to be curious, to experiment, to reflect on things. We need the time to do very qualitative things that aren't necessarily measurable. How is the union working on those issues? How, like in, in concrete terms, what is the union doing in order to address those and try to protect and promote the rights of staff in respect to those two things? We are engaged with a representation type role that deals with grievances and complaints. So we actually have a core group who represent and who act as advocates, uh, who will come with staff to meetings, who will work with colleagues who are being affected by the circumstance. This team sort of engages with the Labor Relations Act, they engage with the Employee Relations Unit, and work through the institutional processes. And if those fail, then we have other options like the CCMA. So it's a huge representation role, it's a huge advocacy role. On the performance management side, um, we're absolutely engaging in the institutional structures. We're sitting <laughs> on committees, which is a typical thing that we like to do at universities, develop committees and sit in them. But we're actually sort of adopting a strong voice in those committees. So in the Senate, there's also a test team on performance management. There was a previous task force looking to sort of performance-based models that we were engaged in. Um, so we sit in these committees in a representation role, providing a perspective that is actually generated from our communications with academic staff. Okay, so a lot of uh, committee work, yes. which is, you know, <laughs> not always uh, enviable, but necessary, right? Absolutely. If you reflect back on the past couple of years, what would you say the union's most important contributions have been to improving the lot of academic staff that fits? I think what that question actually raises another fundamental issue that we deal with on a regular basis, and that's negotiations. We negotiate on behalf of academic staff for their academic salaries. So in the last couple of years, we were successful in negotiating the largest increase ever for FITS academics. We negotiated a three-year agreement that ultimately brought a 30% increase across those three years to its academics in terms of their, their salary. This had a real material impact on the well-being and the sort of quality of life of our academic staff. It brought our salaries up into a competitive range. Right, Unfortunately, they've fallen. Its salaries were at one point among the, the worst, right, in terms of market-related remuneration at, at similar universities. That's correct, and we were suffering uh, We were suffering on the basis of that. We were losing good colleagues to other institutions on the basis of pay. You know, purely the academic environment was no longer enough to keep quality academics. And in a context of transformation as well, we were also losing uh, good colleagues, black academic staff colleagues that were going to other institutions because they were give, being given greater opportunities there. So uh, we were able to leverage that argument in the negotiations, this competitiveness argument, this about the retention argument, to the benefit of, of academic staff. And we were able to successfully conclude that part of the agreement. The fortunate piece about this agreement, we also had a number of other successes. Um, so we came to an agreement to look into establishing a child care facility. We also negotiated a reduced rate for access to sports facilities on campus for, for well-being of the staff. We've also established a task force through this negotiation around looking at alternative means of accessing campus, so other than a car, so encouraging cycling, utilizing the public transport, or, Though there is very little infrastructure on that front. And then finally, one of the other big uh, successes was that we were able to negotiate a uh, quality in terms of paternity and maternity leave. So we were able to negotiate four months uh, for both mothers and fathers when they have a, a new child. So all of these things really 
could materially impact on one's work life. You know, so I think these are nice examples of, of what a union can do within an institution in order to help you know, serve the interests of, of academic staff. Absolutely, and I would say, you know, at the core of a union's mandate is to make the material condition of the membership better. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a context like a university, uh, that means the academic staff. Uh, so, you know, we have 750 members uh, at the moment. There are probably about 1,200 academic staff at VIDS. Uh, so we do have space to, to grow. I mean, the important piece is to try and communicate across this message to academic staff in our institution. And actually, we are doing work on and that even though, you know, if you're not a member of the union, you're still gaining from it, but that we actually still want to strengthen our collective voice. We still want you to be a part of the institution. And that, you know, at the end of the day, we're here to represent you. We're not here to do anything else. Absolutely. So thinking outside of the kind of boundaries of our particular institutions, you know, and, and I believe there are staff unions at other, other universities around South Africa, and there most certainly are around the world. Looking outwards, what do you what would you argue the role of the union is within what role do you think an academic staff union can play in society more broadly or should play, especially considering the many challenges and complexities and issues and changes that are, are taking place in the higher education sector right now? Yeah, I mean I think one of the things that we need to start doing as academics is to start looking outwards, uh, looking at the sector nationally and then also looking at higher education internationally. And one of the things that I've been struck by since arriving in South Africa was actually how little we talk to each other in South Africa between academic unions. I know that there are academic associations and unions at other institutions. Just lately, I've started talking with them. And, you know, in part, we as SSO have been reaching out, but also, you know, to the credit of colleagues at the Free State and colleagues at UCT and colleagues at UWC, they've been reaching out to us as well. So we've started a conversation around coordinating talking about the broader common issues that affect us at, in the sector. We haven't done enough yet on that front. So if we look at this particular moment uh, with the transformation, the decolonization push, there's an incredible amount of focus on universities and higher education in general in some but yet we see no common academic voice on the national stage. And I would say this is to our detriment. We see it with the students. We see a common voice with the students, uh, although it is fragmented and challenged at times. We see a common voice with the vice chancellors, which is actually the most dominant voice as it currently stands, uh, through the University of South Africa organization. I have utmost respect for USA, and I have utmost respect for the student perspectives, but we need the academics voice in there as well. And I think we're missing an opportunity here to actually reinforce what the benefit of higher education is, reinforce uh, the benefit of academic freedom, and reinforce actually what, you know, the significant role that academics play in the sector by not having this common voice, by not having an institution. So we really, I mean, I think it's it's really an imperative now that we figure this out. If I understand correctly from my own discussions with colleagues who have been around much longer than I have in the sector in South Africa, but there did used to be a national voice, um, but that fell apart, I think, in the 90s. It just never got reestablished. I think we absolutely, as academics, need to prioritize this and come together and find a way to, you know, coordinate, to speak, and to figure out how we're going to take positions forward to, to the minister, to the Department of Higher Education, or just even to communicate our value to society at large. I think one of the interesting things for me arriving in South Africa is how little societal respect academics get. 
for some reason there's it's 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 a, a fun pastime for people to sort of slam academics and suggest that we don't do any work uh, that unless we're not teaching you know in actual fact we're just lazing about it um, that is a fundamental fundamental misinterpretation of what we do and the amount of work that we're engaging in the contribution we make to South African society and we have to start challenging that we have to start changing the narrative and to do that we need to have that common voice and we need to start engaging in a common set of uh, research questions, putting out there, put some data behind some of the contributions that we make. Like, what is it that we contribute to the economy in South Africa? That's actually something we can calculate, but yet it doesn't exist. So, huge opportunity to look at and think about kind of cross university coalitions between existing staff unions or associations. Part of me thinks that that's almost antithetical to the academic animal. You know, we sit in our offices, we focus on our very narrow research questions, we develop our arguments, we spend hours and hours and hours on our own writing, preparing for our teaching, doing our marking, and there's almost something alien to us about collective action. Although that said, in my first year at Wits, there was a strike. <laughs> so, you know, there was collective action, which was successful. But how do you think we can build these coalitions across university associations? Like, what is needed in order for us to somehow develop that collective voice that, that you're talking about, which is so necessary. Because as a previous guest on the podcast said a couple of weeks back, you know, academics are in it for the long haul. The managers are in five-year contracts. The students are around for three or four or five or sometimes six years. And then they, they go off and they have their careers. But we're here. We're tenured. You know, we have so much more at stake in terms of what we take from and contribute to university life, that our voices really, really need to become more publicly respected and heard, like you said. So what do you think it will take to build those coalitions? I think, you know, to get to the space where a coalition can emerge, we're going to have, there has to be some focus on leadership. Somebody's going to have to grab this proverbial bull by the horns and try and wrestle with it and, and bring the academic staff associations or unions together. So somebody's going to have to take up the call. I would like to believe that in Asawa we can do that. And we have had explicit conversations around doing this. But you know, like everybody else, it comes down to time. And when we have pressing cases associated with bullying, or we have pressing cases associated with negotiations, or we have issues associated with performance management that we're trying to deal with internally, we generally sort of revert back to what we do normally. And we don't have time to engage in these strategic issues. So we're gonna we're gonna have to carve out some space and carve out some time to do that. And you know, I can see other institutions trying to get there as well. Colleagues at UCT, for the past couple of weeks, have been trying to organize a, a conference call between the different unions to to come together. And you know, to their credit, um, but I think you know, they, you know, we haven't been able to to find a time to, to actually speak. So it's it's an issue of leadership. It's an issue of making this a strategic priority amongst all the different unions, and actually now sort of saying. No longer can we let this happen. Actually, this is not working in our interests as academics because we are here for the long haul. And I think that probably does speak. It does that actually sort of reinforces the challenge because we sort of go, oh, we're here for a long time, longer than managers, longer than the students. We sort of think we can easily sort of push things out, push it off, sort of saying, all right, well, I can deal with that in two years, or maybe we can do that in the next iteration of the style of executive, which is you know another year and a half away, or something like. I think now we actually, we're getting to a point where if we don't start intervening now, we're actually going to lose a major opportunity to contribute to the reshaping of the higher education sector in South Africa. So creating spaces for dialogue, communication, bringing union 
leaders and executive members together to at least just start talking. So one of the things we actually want to do is actually create a, a joint meeting where we, you know, just maybe here at VITS, bring colleagues together for a day or two where we can talk and just structure it around key issues of the sector, talk around those issues and see if we can come up with a common position, if we can establish some common voice. Even if it's at this particular moment not going to take the shape of an equivalent to USA, maybe, you know, even if we're all just in our own institutions, in our own context, all writing to the minister with the same message or writing to officials in DHEAD or communicating with our university managements in the same way, that would help. But we've got to do something. Absolutely. So I think that's that's pretty clear that there's a need for a, some kind of broader coalition like this across academic staff organizations. What about coalitions with other organizations, with unions that represent other sectors or layers of university employees? And what about liaisons or coalitions with students? What role do you think staff organizations can play in like bridging gaps between, say, you know, cleaners and students and professors, what kinds of coalitions could we also try and build and how? So yeah, I mean, I think that question ultimately speaks to sort of how academics view themselves within the learning and workplace environment. I think absolutely it's integral to the success of any academic union or association uh, at a university to actually reach out and to have good relations with other sectors within the institution. So be it the students, be it support staff. Uh, in this current moment, also the outsourced workers in the process of insourcing. So, in our context at Excel, we've always had really good relations with the other unions, including the Student Representative Council. We've always had an open dialogue with them. Students were really important to supporting academic staff when we were engaged in our big negotiations. They could have easily come in and sort of criticized the, the deal because it you know, took money away from student bursaries, but they didn't. They recognized the important role that academics play. And, you know, we've always been really grateful for that support, you know, but alternatively too, so have the support staff. Support staff have always been understanding of academics in their space and appreciative that uh, we have a, a unique set of issues as a set of different unions. And that, um, you know, in this context, we need to negotiate in different ways. In the past, I know that we've tried at bits to negotiate as a collective, particularly on the staff side, so support staff and academic staff. But I think we found that that just didn't work. It just wasn't, uh, again, like just because of the difference in the issues that we have. Academics focusing on uh, teaching hours, uh, focusing on time available for research, et cetera, et cetera, support for, you know, conferences. Those aren't issues that support staff need or focus on. So we've had to split off in that regard. And I think, you know, one has to, I think, critically examine whether or not coming together again would be in the interests of everybody in the institution. It certainly would create a more powerful voice and a counterpoint to management, but whether or not that's actually feasible based on the issues is another question. But the ultimate piece is for ASAU, and I know probably for other for other unions at other institutions, to maintain a positive relationship with support staff colleagues, because they are colleagues. Without them, we couldn't actually do our work. And you know, so it's, there's a mutual dependency building. Okay, so what would you say to colleagues who, who don't think a union is necessary and don't want to join it? What argument would you make to convince them that, in fact, it's in their interests to sign up and pay their monthly fee? So I would, I would approach that question from two angles, right? One, I was, you know, we're in a fortunate situation, as in Asai was just completed the negotiation for a 30% increase over three years. And I would say proof is in the pudding that unions work, but the collective voice actually really 
is effective at leveraging resources and improving our material well-being in the institution. The other side is um, you'll meet us in a context where you're either being discriminated against or bullied or there's a complaint against you or some sort of grievance. You get into trouble. <laughs> and I know it sounds funny, but it's you'll be amazed at the number of people who join in that context. That all of a sudden, you know, for ages they wouldn't have been a part of the union, and all of a sudden now they get into trouble or something bad is happening to them in the workplace environment, and they all of a sudden need recourse. And they come and you know they'll join in a heartbeat. I would say to the people who you know aren't members yet that I mean think about the power of collectivity. Think about what a salary in particular has done in the institution for you in terms of improving your, your salary and improving your workplace condition. And also then think about, you know, the sort of the insurance policy that it is in, its, in effect. Uh, so academic unions in general are insurance policies, making sure that you aren't discriminated against and that if, you know, you're vulnerable in a situation, that actually you have an institutional voice behind you. And considering the many kind of sea changes that are happening in higher education right now, some might argue, those who take a slightly pessimistic view on, on what lies ahead, is that we are in for quite a rough ride in the next five or ten years in higher education in that it's very likely that our workloads will increase without our remuneration increasing, that we're in for bigger classes with less teaching support, that we're in for higher student-staff ratios. And in that context, like looking ahead, Arguably, we need more than ever to have some kind of collective voice and collective like, response. So on, on that note, what is your vision of where we're going and what kinds of challenges might lie ahead for academic staff? So I think uh, absolutely you've pinpointed the particular issues, and that is the sort of creeping uh, change in our workplace conditions without there being much discussion and negotiation. So I know VITS is not unique in this scenario, but you know this year we increased our student intake beyond what was expected. We said that, you know, the Senate approved a six, about a 6,000 student first-year intake. Um, we blew that out of the water. You know, I'm sure like you, like you, Mahita, you teach a large class. I also teach a large class at the first-year level. This year, my large class, instead of being 400, uh, was over 500 students. And that has a, that has a fundamental difference to the 25% way... 25% increase. 25% increase, but also when you're lecturing in that environment, all large class lecturing is not the same. I can argue that the feeling and the context for lecturing is fundamentally different in that jump between 400 and over 500 students. Setting aside the administrative challenge of you know dealing with assessments and dealing with tutorials and uh, finding tutors. This year I had 25 tutors for my, for my class of over 500 students. That in and of itself, that's like a class. Managing the, the, the tutors is also like a course. <laughs> it's incredible. So I'd say that issue is the big one. And we have to be careful as academic unions uh, and academic staff on this issue because I think we can all agree that South Africa needs more higher education. That in actual fact, accessibility to higher education in South Africa is a paramount issue and something that we need to be working to facilitate. But at the same time, we don't want to be you know, increasing it for the sake of quality and missing it on quality. And so you know, I would argue in these contexts where we see a creep in student numbers happening like we did here at Vince, that without any mechanisms put in place to address the quality issue, that, that this is where an academic union can come in and start advocating and start talking about those workplace conditions and sort of saying, look, you can't change our conditions of work without actually discussing it with us. And that's not fair. So that's going to be one of the sort of the, the really important issues, I think, going forward. I think we're also going to have to be paying attention to the research environment as well. 
just based on the way that research is supported in South Africa and particularly incentivized in South Africa with this notion of rink, I'm not sure how sustainable that is going to be. We're going to have to think of different strategies for incentivizing research. And the academic union needs to be fundamentally part of it. I mean, and thinking about an increase in student numbers, it doesn't seem sensible or fair that student numbers would increase without staff numbers increasing. You know, and that seems, that's a real workplace issue that we need to battle. Absolutely. I mean, it speaks to the bigger issue of higher education in South Africa. And this is something that we, as academics, fundamentally need to engage in a discussion around. Mm -hmm. and, and this is where I think a national voice would be really helpful. If we look at an international perspective, too, national voice and an international perspective. If we actually look to the size of South Africa, South Africa is a country of 54 million people, has 27 universities, 25 of which are really functional. Okay? Two are being set up, and they're coming online soon. That's to serve as a population of 54 million people. If I look at my own home country, Canada, I appreciate the comparison as tenuous given as an industrialized country, et cetera, et cetera. But if I look at my own home country of Canada, the population is 34 million. How many universities do we have? 88. And that doesn't include the technical colleges that are set up for vocational skills, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a fundamental mismatch going on here. We don't have enough capacity in the South African higher education sector to deal with the demand. And so we really need to be prioritizing higher education. And this is one of the key issues that as a, as I think a collective of academics, we need to be pushing and we need to be raising awareness around. But in actual fact, if South Africa wants to develop a knowledge-based economy, an innovation-based economy, then in actual fact, we need to be investing in higher education, in addition to technical vocations and technical And investing colleges. in higher education means investing in staff. Absolutely. Because we, we love our work, we love doing our research, we love teaching, but we can only do it well up to a certain point in terms of the, the demands and the, the pressures of serving a certain number of students. That's right. I mean, you're right. Absolutely. We need to be investing in, in the quality of the work environment for our academic staff. And this is where entities like ASAO or entities even like a national voice can actually put a lot of research into communicating the impact um, that actually the, uh, the impact of the sort of massification of higher education is having on the, the teaching and learning environment and then that relationship to the development of South Africa and its economy. And this is the problem. We've disconnected the role of higher education from the development of South Africa when in actual fact they're deeply intertwined and confused. And I would, I would make the argument that in actual fact the sort of economic well-being of the country is really is highly dependent on the success of the higher education sector. And I'm pretty sure that our colleagues at other institutions feel the same. They're equally concerned about classes growing. It's not that they don't want students to have access to a university and to have their opportunities to develop their families and themselves. And it's that they're, they can see acutely because they're on the front line. They're at the chalkboard, you know. They can see acutely the problems that, are, that lie ahead and that the resources are spread so thin that there's a real concern that those students are not going to get kind of quality time to reflect, like time, face time with their, their teachers, that they're going to be increasingly taught by less and less qualified colleagues, you know, so, and, and that's quite a scary thing to face up to as someone who stands in the classroom day after day. No, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, and again, we're well positioned as academics to be able to communicate this, right? We're well, we're researchers. We actually have the skills to actually put together research projects that can demonstrate that this this challenge. And actually, this is like, I think this should be a call to action 
uh, at this particular moment to our academic colleagues to actually start doing some research, start working with other colleagues, maybe in your own discipline, to sort of say, what is the impact that massification is having on our learning environment within our particular discipline, within our school, within our faculty? And then we can sort of broaden out to institutions, then we can talk about sector. So this is uh, you know, something we really need to take advantage of. The other angle on this too, I think you just alluded to, is the emergence of precarious labor. And this is something I would say is another big issue that we're facing in the higher education sector, is this emergence of contract staff, you know, more and more people on limited term contracts, more and more postdocs being put into sort of traditional roles of academics. And this is something that we, we really need to be aware of and to be careful about because you know, one of the tenets one of, the, one of the tenets of a, an effective institution is the academic freedom, as I mentioned before. And you really only get academic freedom when you can't be fired. <laughs> so tenure is a really important point in this whole sort of teaching and learning environment. And we need to, you know, in a context with contractually limited staff, other precarious labor like postdocs, that's changing, fundamentally changing the dynamic you know, of our teaching and learning environment as well. So lots to think about there in terms of the role unions play within institutions and that they could play across institutions. So in an ideal world, if we could imagine that it was possible to mobilize and bring together academic staff across the country, what do you think a national organization would look like? How would it be resourced and what kinds of projects would you like to see it championing and, and driving? Mm, I think, I mean that's a very big question. Um, and one that uh, I think would require a great deal of thought, but just off the cuff, right? we wanted to think about a national organization, most likely either a coalition or a federation type model would make the most sense, where we actually have representation from across the different universities coming and sitting on a sort of a, a council type of a scenario, and where we sort of talk about the common issues or bigger issues that are facing us. Such an entity, such a federation, could also have a research arm where we actually pool resources, we put funds in as a group, as a set of unions, as a set of associations associated with academic staff, that we utilize a research arm that we utilize to champion or to take a considered look at the, at the various big issues facing us. So precarious labor, for example, you know, what is the experience of this versus what's the experience at UWC versus UCT versus UKZN, Rhodes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, UJ, what have you. All those experiences can be then brought together and we can create common positions which then are utilized to lobby the uh, minister or colleagues in DM, or even just to communicate out into the public so that public are aware of what we are actually doing and what are some of the issues that we face. So if I could add to that though, I mean, the other piece about such a national organization would be that, that it's not taking over the role that individual academic unions are playing in institutions. It's enhancing the roles that we play in the sense so that, you know, a, an entity like ASAO would, would continue on. An entity like, I believe, at UWC, it's Nahawu. At UJ, I believe they're setting up a new organization, association of progressive academics. Whatever those entities look like, in actual fact, they're not subsumed. The national one is actually more as a, as a space where we can come together as a group to talk about the common issues. So I'm not talking about trying to establish uh, a national-wide for academic staff. I don't think that's worked successfully in many places. And I'm not sure it would work well here, I think for the issues that you raised before, right? The individuality of the academics, et cetera, et cetera. 
and that each institution has its own culture and its own issues. Right? Um, if we had a national union trying to deal with discrimination, bullying, et cetera, et cetera, that would create a huge distance uh, between an institution and its, and its culture and its environment and, and the representational. So I think we wouldn't want it for that, but we'd want it for lobbying, I think we'd want it for research, and research dissemination. I'm convinced. I'd sign up. I'd pay my membership fee to that Federation of Unions. I, why, why don't you lead it? That'd be better. <laughs> oh, wow. Too much on my face. Um, yeah, it's been a good discussion. Why unionize and, and where, where could unions go and what role could they play in the higher education debates? It's been pretty enlightening. So yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. And thanks for all your work. So, if you're not yet a member of a union, hopefully this conversation has convinced you that it's worth joining one. With the many challenges facing the higher education sector, it's clear that we need to work collectively not only to protect academic staff, but also to ensure that universities reach their full potential as public institutions. My name is Prudence. I'm studying at the Vets School of Education, first year, and... The use of unions is that they voice out the, if you have an opinion and they represent you in a way, they represent your feelings, they represent what you want to be heard. But then if you're too scared, they are there for you. So that's the main point of having unions around us. We are aware of the staff unions, but the question is, do they even use them? We've never been in situations whereby our lectures use their unions at like, to actually exercise that right. Do they even have them here at VETS especially? Because we know nothing about that. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of VETS University. ASAU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at VITS. For more information, visit www.asau.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Today's show was presented by Mehita Ikani. Research scheduling, editing and production was done by Balungile Mbenyane. Thanks to Professor David Hornsby for his continued support and for being a guest on the show, Pervez Khan for his input, as well as Prudence and Palesa for their time. Jürgen Mikkel created our jingles.